I'm Stephanie Plant. Welcome to VotePro, the podcast where we take a deep dive into elections happening around the world and in our own backyard. This podcast is supported by Condo Voter, Canada's leading electronic voting platform for condominium elections. Check out their website at www.condovoter.com. Bonjour and welcome to the Vote Pro podcast where we discuss elections around the world. Today we're going to be talking about elections in Israel with Professor Liron Levy. Professor Levy is a research fellow at the YNS Nazarian Center for Israeli Studies. She received her PhD in political science in 2017 from Tel Aviv University, where she studied the role of time in elections and democracy in Israel. Her doctoral work earned her the Best Dissertation Award from the Israeli Political Science Association. Professor Levy's research interests include political communication, elections and democracy, Israeli politics, philosophy of time, and national identity. Her current work focuses on the 2015 and 2019 Israeli elections and the 2016 U.S. elections, where she studies the effects of new media on democracy and its legitimacy. So good afternoon from Ottawa. This is Stephanie with the Vote Pro podcast. And here I am today with Lyron Lavi. And today we're going to talk about the elections, which are coming up just on Tuesday in Israel. Um, I know a lot of people are curious as to what's going on in Israel and how the elections are run. And she's going to demystify the whole process for us and let us know who she thinks is going to uh, be running the show as of Tuesday. So thank you for being with us today, Professor Lavi. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. Can you uh, just give us a bit of information about yourself and your background? Uh, well, me, I'm a political scientist. I'm a research fellow at the Central Asia Studies at UCLA. I study election and democracy, mainly media coverage uh, in Israeli election and somewhat in American election as well. Um, working on what uh, make us feel or think or perceive election as democratic, uh, about multidimensional and different kind of representation, stuff like that. Perfect. And in your opinion, what kind of makes Israeli elections so interesting? Like, why is everybody so fascinated with what happens uh, to Israel? Uh, well, Israel, as as small as it is, uh, seems something very influential in terms of the Middle East and its relation with uh, with the U.S., especially now with the close relationship between Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, Donald Trump. So I guess everyone are very interested to see how the election may impact uh, the region and the Israeli-American relation and all the things that come with it in terms of Iran and Europe and um, global issues. Right, right. So can you just maybe take us back? Why did this election get called? Do you guys have fixed dates? Was it a sudden election? Why are Israelis going to the polls? So uh, some of the listeners probably know Israel just went through uh, a round of election in April. Um, there was also uh, early election, but after uh, this election in April, Benjamin Netanyahu received a mandate from the president in Israel to form a coalition. However, after six weeks, he wasn't able to form a coalition and a new election uh, was called. And this is how we got here in September for another round in election in 2019. Got it. Got it. And um, can you tell us just a bit about kind of the main political parties in Israel and, and talk a bit about the party system? 
Yeah, sure. So Israel is a multi-party system with a proportional um, vote, uh, which means that uh, the Israeli parliament is comprised of several parties, which means that uh, in order to govern, a party needs to form a coalition. It can potentially get 61 out of the 120 seats of the Israeli parliament, the Knesset, but it has never been the case. So uh, Israel always had a coalition government. Right now, there are several important parties. The Likud Party, which is a center-right party led by Benjamin Netanyahu. Um, there is uh, the new newcomer center party, uh, Blue and White, Kaholavan, which is led by former military chief of staff uh, Benny Gantz and uh, Yair Lapid. These are the two largest parties. We also have uh, Israel is our home, Israel Beitanu. This is a Victor Lieberman party. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it a little bit later because he was a, a key player in why the previous coalition formation process wasn't successful and there is another round of election. So Israel is our home is a right-wing party that right now tries to, uh, to position itself between these two large parties right? Um, in order to try and be this uh, pivot player in the future uh, coalition formation. Got it. Other than that, we have a lot of parties in Israel. That might take a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, specifically, have you been affected like a lot of other countries have by, you know, kind of these extreme right-wing parties or... Green parties, like, are there people on the fringes and people in the middle? What we see in Israel is a, it's somewhat different than what we see around the world. We don't see green parties that much. We do see a general move to the right. So we don't see rise of extreme right-wing parties, but we see kind of the entire spectrum move to the right. So what used to be the left now is is the center. Got it. Got it. So it's it's kind of keeping up with, I guess, worldwide trends in that sense. Yeah, in the sense of, of rising, of, of the rising of, of right-wing ideology, let's say, it's like right-wing politics. But would you say they're populist or would you just say they're just kind of right-wing ideologues? Mostly right-wing ideologues. Got it. Got it. Okay. I don't see much of a difference in populism in Israel. Okay. Um, and can you maybe talk a bit about women's participation in Israeli politics? Is there quotas? Is there like, a, you know, Justin Trudeau famously said, you know, it's 2015 when he had parity in his cabinet. What's what are how are women's participation in Israeli politics? Um, so we had a women prime minister in the 1970s. Uh, ever since we didn't have a women for years, uh, women acting as, uh, as ministers, and right now in the current election, Ayala Chicken is leading uh, the right-wing party, Yumina, uh, which maybe translated to uh, right way or something like that, yeah. going right. Uh, there are about 30% women in the Israeli parliament, I think, much like in Canada. Oh, okay. And do, are there some parties that sort of actively recruit, you know, like, here, the New Democratic Party, they tried to make it so half of their candidates are women at election time, uh, or that they oscillate between a male leader and a female leader. Do, do, is there that kind of, do we see that kind of 
pressure for women in uh, Israeli politics? Um, there are some manifestations like that, but I wouldn't say it's uh, an on-the-table, clear, uh, explicit agenda right. of parties. The two largest parties are still led by uh, by men. Mm-hmm. The Blue and White Party I mentioned earlier is led by four generals, uh, military, former military generals. So it's still very much uh, masculine system. Um, and I was just wondering if you could briefly to touch on the uh, diaspora. Uh, so in Canada, we had a very big uh, court case this year. So now the Canadian diaspora is allowed to vote without restrictions in Canadian elections. How engaged is the diaspora in the uh, electoral process? So we can say that the Israeli diaspora is very engaged in Israeli politics, but not in the electoral process because they're not allowed to vote. Okay. You have to to be in Israel in order to vote, except if you're, you know, a formal uh, representative of, the, of Israel abroad, like a consulate or or something like that. Um, so we have a lot of of Israelis outside of Israel that can't influence the the, the election, and there is an ongoing debate over that in Israel, uh, but up until now, it hasn't been changed. And uh, can you now take us, this is always my favorite part, can you take us into sort of the nitty gritty of the actual election system in Israel? Sort of, you know, if I'm walking into a polling station in Israel, what do I see? Ah, it's a wonderful process, process, very ritualistic. So you'll get into a room, usually based in in the school or, um, or some community center, and you'll have the um, uh, the poll committee. You'll present your uh, your ID, your photo ID, and they will find your name in the list of voters registered to this poll. Once they find you, they check a um, a little V mark there next to your name. They'll give you an envelope, and you will go behind the curtain. There, you will have a box of all the parties that are running in this election, uh, which in this particular election, I believe there are 42 parties. You'll choose one one ballot. It's actual ballot. So you uh, it's an actual paper. So you'll choose the paper of the party you prefer. You'll put in the envelope. You'll close it. And then you'll get outside of the curtain and put the envelope in a big box. Mm-hmm. And then you have the rest of the day off. Yeah. Oh, it's a holiday. Oh, that's so fascinating. It's a holiday. Oh, that's yeah. fascinating. And what is voter turnout generally like? It's usually around it's 60 plus okay. percent voting. Okay. So about two thirds. Oh, that's, you know, I always hear, I always love hearing people talk about what their experience is like on polling day. You know, as, you know, I hear about this push to, you know, you know, internet elections and online voting, which is a wonderful um, experience. It's so ritualistic and wonderful, especially for first time voters. You know, they love to sell mm-hmm. themselves outside the polling stations or I don't know if you've seen the hashtag dogs at polling stations. It's just people who <laughs> tie their dogs up outside and they take a picture. And anyways, yes, thank you for that. That was lovely. I, I would I would just like to add that in the, we, are, we hear a lot of uh, conversation and discussions right now in Israel about options to make the process more computational mm-hmm. or using machines to vote. And in my opinion, I believe that 
Um, this, as I said, very ritual, holiday-like uh, process of voting is so embedded in how Israelis perceive their uh, the roles of citizens mm-hmm. that that any change to that might change the entire feeling of a person that is going to vote. This metaphor of putting your vote in an envelope and casting it into the box is um, is an essential part of this uh, civil and, and democratic act for Israelis. Uh, yeah. And, and do, does Israel have like an independent electoral management body or is it managed by uh, another government department? Uh, there is an in- independent that led by a, by a judge. Got it. Got it. Okay. In the discussions I've had with people, that usually is one of the key markers of people sort of, you know, feelings of civic participation is like, you know, Elections Canada is running this event or, you know, uh, the Electoral Commission of whatever. So, yeah, that's that's really nice to hear. Thank you. Um, okay, so now we're going to you're going to get your crystal ball out. And uh, I was wondering if you could tell us about if you have any predictions for Tuesday. Uh, do you, if you had to put money on this election, what do you think is going to happen? Oh, I wouldn't put my money <laughs> <laughs> on predictions of this election. Um, first of all, as we all know by now, it's very hard to predict election outcome. I think this is part of uh, of the charm of election as as a democratic institution. That with all the prediction and all the very uh, sophisticated tools that uh, that we have, it's really not that easy to predict what people will decide, what's going on in their, uh, in their mind, in their decision uh, processes uh, when they're uh, standing um, behind this curtain, as I just mm-hmm. described. And in this election, it's especially hard because, well, Israelis just went to the poll five months ago uh, and they, they did their best, they cast the ballot, and the parties that were supposed to form a uh, coalition um, didn't come through because in the parliamentary system and the coalition uh, system, people cast a vote and then it's up to the politicians to form coalition and make the government. Uh, so many are worried about the turnout for this election and they might be right and it might have a, uh, a substantial effect on the formation of the parliament and the future coalition. I believe that... Um, Generally, we can speak of two possible scenarios in this case. One scenario is that Benjamin Netanyahu will be able to uh, to form a right-wing coalition, a minimal right-wing coalition, which means that the Likud party, right-wing party, and religious par- religious parties will have 61 out of the 120 seats of the Knesset. Uh, and this is very important for Benjamin Netanyahu because he is facing hearing and possible indictment on three criminal um, cases. And he hopes that his coalition partners will help him ditch that. Right. Um, and in some form of uh, passing an immunity bill and uh, weakening the strength of the, of the Supreme Court in Israel. This is one scenario, which is um, more simple for for Benjamin Netanyahu. And the other scenario is that he won't be able to form this minimal right-wing coalition. And then we have a much more open game 
in which we will either see uh, a Victor Lieberman uh, from Israel uh, is our home get into a coalition with Netanyahu, which he didn't do last time, and that was part of the reason why Israel went to another election. Or we might see, the chances are slim, but it's still a possibility that the Likud party will remove Netanyahu and then will open an, an, an option for a government of the Likud and the Blue and White Party, like a grand union uh, government. Right. So it seems even if Mr. Netanyahu does win, the future is still a bit uncertain. Definitely. Definitely. I think it will take a um, couple of weeks after the, the results are known before we'll have a clearer picture of, of the future coalition and where uh, the direction of Israeli politics is going. Thanks again to our sponsor, Condo Voter. Condo Voter brings electronic voting to the Canadian condominium market combined with an in-depth knowledge and understanding of condominium laws. Electronic voting permits each individual unit owner to vote online using a secure web-based platform. Eliminate the need for proxies, increase owner engagement, and avoid contested results with Condo Voter. Participate, don't delegate. Check out their website at www.condovoter.com. So in Canada, we're having a bit of election fatigue, I like to say. And it's not because we have too many elections. It's just like with Brexit and Mr. Donald Trump. It, and, you know, it's just like people just constantly feel there's this like election fallout, election looming candidates. You know, it's just it's always kind of election time. And I was wondering if you guys I mean, you geographically, you're kind of not in the same space. But I was wondering if you guys kind of have that same sentiment. Definitely, you can identify the sentiment in Israel as well. Even in a set of interviews I've conducted back in 2009, you could already hear people saying that they are tired of election and they don't feel that their voting really makes a change. And these trends are just getting stronger and increase over the years. So definitely, and and in my research, when I uh, when I look at this dynamic of what you just called it, election time, and but what we can call the governing time, right, right? Once this once this rhythm is is distorted, and you have a lot of election time and not not enough governing time, it undermines the perception of people of their influence through the electoral system. Yeah, it's almost like everyone's always in salesperson mode and no one's in an actual governing mode, right? Like everyone's always kind of thinking to the next election or the next by-election or the next G7 or, you know, and there's never any just get down to brass tacks and get things done kind of thing. Exactly, which was always kind of a, a setback of of electoral politics or demo- representative democracy, you know, politicians were blamed of looking at the next election instead of doing that, not taking long-term policy that might benefit the, their constituency. But now with, um, in Israel, this very rapid rhythm of election, this is even further intensified. The timescales are so short up to this very radical case of which we have just elections, not governing time, without any governing time between them. Right. Right. Wow. 
Can we maybe go back to Mr. Netanyahu a bit? I, I'll be very honest. He's kind of the one thing I think thing I think of when I think of Israel. Like he's kind of a big figure. How is he seen internally, um, despite the scandals? And how would you say he's seen around the world? Well, that's not surprising that he is the one you're thinking of because <laughs> he is in power for the past ten years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so consecutive 10 years, and before that, he was the prime minister for three years, between 96 and 99. So he is a very dominant figure in Israeli politics, yet he get, gets reelected over and over again. Um, so I think many Israelis think that he is doing a pretty good job in being a prime minister and navigating Israeli economy and Israeli security. The major 2008 economic crisis that were felt all around the world was, wasn't really felt in Israel. And, ma- and many people uh, give the credit to Netanyahu uh-huh. on that. So I think when people come to the ballot at the end of the day, they think, okay, he's, he's fine. Yeah, there are scandals, but he's doing pretty good and we're in a pretty good shape given that he was the prime minister for so long, any alternative is an unknown alternative. It's, it's very uncertain yeah, that, that a person that may replace him would do better. Yeah, we, we see that in other countries as well. It's kind of like, don't, you know, there's, there's so much chaos that you just don't mess with the recipe, right? Like you kind of stick with what you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, definitely. Uh huh. Uh huh. I, I did see, I have to confess, I did see the ad of Mr. Netanyahu on the beach. I will link to it in the show notes after. But did you see where he was like, go to the right, go to the right? I'll, I'll have to send it to you if you haven't seen it, but it's this political ad. Yes, please do. Yeah, it's pretty funny. He's like a lifeguard on a beach and he's throwing a frisbee, I think. And he's oh, like, yes, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> I, to, I was. I was pretty. Yeah. They're pretty good. 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 Good election ad in Israel this round of election. It started pretty. Everyone was pretty numb. They're pretty tired from the last round, mm-hmm. but uh, but they um, they sped up a little bit in the past couple of weeks. So uh, the blue and white party also have a couple of very very good and to the point ads. Got it. Cool. So it is in this respect. It's interesting. Very interesting. I kind of wish I could go to Israel and like, check in, like be there <laughs> on polling day and just kind of peek into a, a polling booth because uh, it sounds so fascinating. <laughs> uh, well, you should. It is, a, it, it is a very unique day in Israel. You know, it used to be described as a holiday and as a, even a national holiday in newspapers people used to wear you know dress up and go to the polls you know next time you go and there's an election please give me a call because i have some air mile points i could like to cash out especially in the winter like if you ever have an election in the winter for canada please let me know i'll be there in a minute uh, definitely well i hope i hope i won't send you such an email soon but with israeli <laughs> politics and the rhythm of election uh, you might get such an email sooner than later yeah well you know if ever you want to we have our election here on october 21st so if you want to come up and uh just bring a coat and i'll take you around and you can see our parliamentary democracy in action Thank I'll you. be happy to. Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much, <laughs> Professor Levy. And do you want to how, do you want to plug any books you've written or papers you're working on or conferences you're attending? Well, right now I'm working on two papers. One is on the uh, media discourse uh, during the 2016 uh, American election, kind of on Twitter, making sense of the election and the big surprise that uh, that went over there. Another interesting project that uh, that I'm involved in is more focused in Israel and looks on different aspects of representation and what is what's important for people in terms of who represents them. Is, is it their uh, policy position? Is there a social demogra- demogra- demographic characteristics uh, or like more symbolic sense of uh, of a politician that makes them feel that they are part of the of the us group, um, and how the changes in these different aspects of representation influence uh, legitimacy for democracy. Uh, right now, we're focused on Israel, but this is going to be a, um, a comparative project that um, that will look on these different aspects of of representation and how they play out in the what has been called the crisis of democracy. Wow, sounds wonderful. And, uh, you know, as, as I'm so happy that, you know, women are diving into these important topics. Turns out elections in Israel were a little more exciting than anticipated. Here back to talk about what happened after the election and the results is Professor Levy. Okay, so here we are. The election has happened. And now we have, shall I say, a bit of a political fallout. Well, as always, the election turned out to be very exciting and dramatic. And actually, the drama keeps unfolding as we speak. So just for like a quick summer up of the results, uh, the two main parties that we discussed last time, the Likud party, the right wing party, and Kaholava, which is a center-left party, ended up in kind of a tie. Uh, one got um, 32 seats in the Israeli parliament, the Knesset, and the other one got 33. And it's not only that the two parties are in a tie, the two blocks, the right block and the left block, are in a tie. And actually, neither party, neither of this uh, largest party, can form a convenient coalition, a convenient government with, with its mm-hmm. bloc. Uh, so Netanyahu essentially can't form a right-wing coalition, and uh, Benny Gantz in Kaholavan can't form a center-left coalition. The key player of this election that we also mentioned last time, uh, Avigdor Lieberman of Israel is Our Home Party, which used to be identified as, uh, as a right-wing party, kind of shift framing of his party to be um, a, a center or a tiebreaker, let's call it like that. So he's not in the pocket of Netanyahu anymore. Uh, and he won't, he won't be willing to get into a right-wing coalition with ultra-Orthodox and religious parties, which was the reason that Israel went to the second round of election in the first place. Mm-hmm. So... We have two blocks, right, right-wing blocks and left-wing blocks. And 
Mr. Lieberman as uh, between them. So this is the this is a political situation right now. Uh, the president, uh, the Israeli president, has met with uh, with all the parties in the Knesset, and they recommended who they think is most has the the best chances to form a coalition. Here too, they ended up kind of in a tie. And after a short period of effort to form a grand coalition that will include the Likud and Kaholavan, um, he gave the mandate, the authority to form the new government to Netanyahu. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the efforts to form a grand coalition is still underway, but uh, mainly because Kaholavan um, main demand, like the, the first demand, is that Netanyahu won't be uh, the prime minister in this um, in this grand coalition, or at least won't be the first. Or the idea is that there will be a grand coalition, um, and during the four years of its term, uh, they will split the um, the prime minister between the heads of the two parties, and the main. Uh, issue right now now is who is going to be first. Mm-hmm. And of course, Netanyahu wants to be first, uh, first because he's Netanyahu, and second because he's facing um, hearing and possible indictment. Uh, so maybe two years down the road, uh, prime ministry won't be relevant for him. Plus, as a prime minister, he has some kind. He, he can. He's allowed to keep his. Uh, position while he's facing indictment and trial, while if he's um, a minister, he can't do that. Mm-hmm. So he has both political and legal reasons uh, to, um, to be the first in this, rota- this potential rotation. And Kaholavan ran two rounds of election on the ticket of... So if they will enter a government in which Netanyahu is the prime minister, they lose the very minimal base as is that they have like that, their legitimacy. So we are at this point, and the next couple of days and weeks will be uh, dramatic. They will either get uh, some kind of a solution, and there are a couple of solutions floating out there, um, or Israel will go to third round of election. And in your professional opinion, what is the most likely outcome in all of this? It's hard to say, uh-huh. uh, even even from a professional perspective. Um, any um, any result that is not a third round of election will require one at least one party to back up from its um, election promises mm-hmm. and put under risk its credibility and future electoral success. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it is very hard to tell, you know, with this political turmoil and with uh, the legal issues facing Netanyahu, it is, it might be a turning point for Israeli democracy and how it is seen in the world. On the other hand, and in face of all of this, 
when we look at the turnout in this election, which everyone were, um, were sure is going to drop considerably, Israelis turned out to, to, and went to the polls. The turnout, the, the turnout was actually higher than the first round of the 2019 election. So although, uh, you know, Israelis went to the polls in, uh, in, a, in, um, in, uh, in April and, uh, and decided, and their politician in a way let them down because they weren't able to form a coalition from the decision that, that the public um, put on the table and caused another round of elections, people still went and had their say one more time. So that's encouraging. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And hopefully we won't talk about a third round of election anytime soon. (laughs) Thanks for listening. To see the show notes for the podcast, go to condovoter.com. For questions or ideas or to get in touch with me, you can reach me at at special ballot. That's S-P-E-C-I-A-L-B-A-L-L-O-T on Twitter. Until next time, I'm Stephanie Plante.